1: Hey, everyone. It's Tony. Before we get into tonight's show, I want to remind you again that whatever podcast you're listening to the show on right now, hit subscribe, leave us a happy review and share with your friends. If you're on Facebook, you can find us there too. And when you do, give us a like. We're also on Twitter. The Twitter handle is at T and our website is is the If you've had a sighting or an encounter of any kind, whether it's alien, ghost, bigfoot, government conspiracy or whatever, it doesn't matter what it is, if you want to share that with me, my email is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. You can get a hold of me there and I would love to talk to you. Enjoy the show everyone
2: I right out oh, just another lonely night. Are you willing to sacrifice your life? They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clean for what? for the rest of the night. you
1: guys hear that he's out there <laughs> Welcome to The Confessional Booth, everyone. I'm your host, Tony, and I'm really glad that you're here. Before we get into tonight's show, I want to bring up that I found a website earlier this week called cryptozoologynews.com. I think it's a fantastic website. The very first thing I noticed on it was how clean and organized it looks. On top of that, all the articles they have on here range from Thunderbirds to Dinosaur Bird to Aliens, Bigfoot, UFO, you name it, they got it, and they're constantly updating. They don't stop. I love this website, and I actually bookmarked it on my internet browser right away. I would highly suggest you guys go check out this website and bookmark it on your internet browser as well. Now, tonight's show, we're going to be talking about the Nephilim. Before we get into the interview, I actually want to build a foundation, a base for you guys to understand and comprehend what I mean when I say the word Nephilim. What does the word Nephilim mean? This audio excerpt is going to help you just kind of build that foundation before we get into the interview.
2: Now, tell me about the word Nephilim. What does that mean? In the Hebrew, it comes from the verb Nephal. It means the fallen ones, and that's Mm. the term used. Don't confuse that with the fallen angels. The fallen angels, according to Genesis 6, cohabited with human women to produce a hybrid offspring that are called in the Hebrew, the Nephilim. In the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, the translation of the Old Testament into Greek, they use the word gigantes, which is transliterated giants, right. and they did happen to be giants, but that's not what the word means. The word actually means, in the Greek, the earthborn. Hmm. And so, from the Greek point of view, they're earthborn, from the Hebrew point of view, they're the fallen ones, but either way they're pointing to a hybrid, and it apparently was part of Satan's plan to contaminate the Messianic line. But the, so the purpose of the flood was to get rid of these people. Exactly. That's, you put, you put your, that's exactly the point. You study verse 9 of Genesis 6, it speaks of Noah that his, his genealogy was untainted, unblemished. And, and apparently it was a distinctive in that sense. He may not have been the only one unblemished, but the fact that he was unblemished qualified him for what God was going to do, among other things. But the point is, the whole issue that God chose to do was to save eight people in the ark, and erase the blackboard so to speak. Okay, but if the blackboard was erased uh, then we don't have to fool with them today well, if they, they were all destroyed. Except except Genesis 6 verse 4 says there were Nephilim in the land in those days, comma, and also after that and we discover many 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 good Bible scholars miss this that you really won't understand subsequent events in the Old Testament by not realizing it happened again. When uh, when God, in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, confirms the land covenant to Abraham, he tells Abraham that he and his descendants are going to be away for 400 years, but after 400 years, they're going to return. That gave Satan, who's obviously listening, the realization that he had four centuries to lay down a minefield. And that's why when Moses enters the land and he sends his Uh, 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 at Kadesh Barnea, he sends in the 12 reconnoiters, if I can call them that. They come back and say, Numbers 13, verse 33 says they were in Nephilim in the land. So it happened again.
1: Well, I hope that audio kind of gives you more of a foundation as to what the Nephilim are. I know many people know what the Nephilim are, but some people may not be too sure as to how that whole thing works. And hopefully this audio kind of gave you more of a foundation as to where we're going with tonight's show. Now tonight's interview, we're sitting down with Mark McLean. He's a biblical professor at a university, and he was kind enough to come over to my house, sit down with me, and talk about the Nephilim. Little did I know by talking about the Nephilim, were we going to hit on so many different topics. We talked about Nephilim, Bigfoot, UFOs, aliens, transhumanism, x-men we were all over the place and by being all over the place we talked about some personal things that mark has asked me not to be putting on the show so when you hear this sound you know that we jumped audio because what we were talking about was more of a personal nature i really hope you guys enjoy the show let's get to it hey mark how are you great how are you doing tony i am doing good thanks for coming over here and doing an in-studio interview awesome with me. my pleasure so today we're going to be getting into the Nephilim, uh, but from what I understand, there's a lot of background information that goes into this topic, not just the surface level of the subject Nephilim, and you have that kind of information.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's a very broad topic. Uh, the Nephilim or the Nephilim, uh, it's a biblical term, shows up twice in scripture, but uh, it's sort of a, um, a source word for the biblical giants. And uh, the giants show up an awful lot in the Old Testament and also a precursor to uh, what we would consider to be the biblical demons in the New Testament. So it was a very broad topic.
1: Um, I don't know if you'd like to start early or start in Genesis 6? What do you want me to do? Well, let's start early. I mean, okay. let's, let's, gi- let's give the audience... Now, everybody knows that you're a professor at a university and you're also a church planner. Uh, you have extensive knowledge about the Bible in general. So uh, let's not waste this opportunity and get into some background information. Give them... What they need to know when it comes to this whole topic. Okay.
3: So maybe, uh, maybe the best place to start would be Genesis three. So most people are familiar with the, uh, the story of the fall. So we have, um, Adam and Eve in the garden and, um, Eve, um, you know, succumbs to the temptation. And, uh, then after that, uh, there's actually a, uh, a charge that God gives, uh, curses, if you will, as punishment. Uh, to the serpent, or to Satan. And uh, when we actually uh, look at that curse, it speaks about a battle of the seeds, or a battle of offspring that's going to occur. And um, when we look at that, you know, humanity gets kicked out of the garden, but they do bear the image of God. So, Satan knows that um, out of the woman's seed, there's going to be one that's going to crush his head. So, um, when we actually look at the bigger biblical picture, if we go back to the story of creation, um, this is important because when we're looking at seeds, there are specific kinds of seeds. When God spoke creation into existence 10 times in Genesis chapter one, it says, let everything reproduce according to its kind or according to its own kind. So, um, you know, we have an issue today with uh, genetic modification, and people are wondering or concerned, you know, is that normal? Is that, you know, unnatural? And, um, you know, we find uh, very early on in Scripture that things should be reproducing, at least in their own broad categories. So um now jumping to Genesis 6, that's when the, the Nephilim first show up. If we look at Genesis 6, chapter 1, Verses uh, one through four here. It says, "When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them." Notice it says, "Man, the sons of God." The Hebrew word there is the benai ha elohim. Saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives uh, those that they chose. And then the Lord said, "My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he's flesh. His day shall be a hundred and twenty years." And then verse four. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, this uh, implies after the flood, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So what we have here in Genesis chapter 6 is actually uh, what I believe uh, the historical record where pretty much every other civilization has a a fractured account of this. So I I take this to be the the accurate historical account as the Word of God. But pretty much, uh, you know, all your mythologies have some sort of commingling between uh, divine beings and humanity, you know, whether that's Greek mythology um, you know, with the Olympians messing around with humanity or you know wherever you want to go we have that uh we have that narrative um but what we have here after that we have the uh the 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 dastardly uh story of the flood, so you know this wasn 't something that uh was just like any other sin. this actually caused the entire created order, all living things or at least all flesh to be Wiped out, so um, you know. Again, it was a it was a big deal. When we look at the the situation of the flood, this is really important because God chooses one man, and uh, what he says about that man, he says that that Noah is is perfect among his generation. Now, that word "perfect" is a Hebrew word, uh, yin, which actually speaks of. It can mean moral perfection, but uh, more so it's used as something that that isn't blemished. For example, in the Bible, when it talks about a lamb uh, without spot or blemish, the Hebrew word tamyin is used there. So it's not talking about a lamb's moral perfection. It's talking about that the thing isn't blemished. So Noah um, had not yet had his genes corrupted like everything else had. So the assumption here is with the commingling of these uh, sons of God or these divine beings, what we would call the fallen angels, as a result of their mixing with humanity, there were these bastardized offspring of a number of different sorts. And, uh, you know, if you look at classical archaeology, you'll see the, these chimeric um, beings all over the place, either in the, you know, The reliefs of the wall, the things that were worshipped, you know, the the head of a lion and the body of a man, you know, wings. You just have these commingled things. Mm -hmm. So, and this is something again that's universal, not just uh, in the uh, Middle East. We have this everywhere on Earth. This story, and also the story of these divine beings or giants commingling or controlling humanity. So. Um, so, again, there are all kinds of implications of this, and it doesn't just stand there in Scripture, because, again, the, the flood itself, um, when we look at the um, broader narrative, you know, how did people understand this when they first heard this story— something I call uh, hermeneutical proximity. In other words, you know, what did the original hearers hear when they heard Genesis 6, chapter 1 through 4? And when you look at the historical records, like all the pseudepigraphal writings, when you look at the uh, additional, um, you know, apocryphal accounts, you have these stories of these giants that were produced by the sons of God and humans. So, um, I don't know if you want me to look at a couple of these records, but just maybe for the record, if, you know, um, let me just read a couple. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. All right. First Enoch. So, the Book of Enoch, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. It came to pass, when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born to them beautiful and attractive daughters, the angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them, and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men and begot us children. Then they swore all together and bound themselves by a mutual imprecations upon it. And they were all 200 who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. Now that's interesting, Mount Hermon, because in Scripture, when Jesus transfigures himself, he just receives the confession from St. Peter at Caesarea Philippi. And if you see where Caesarea Philippi is, that's that's a renamed place for Bashan, where you had Og and these other giants in the Old Testament. But the nearest mountain range is Mount Hermon. And uh, the biblical text says that after that confession of Peter, Jesus goes up to a high mountain and he transfigures himself, right? He, mm-hmm. So he shows his glory. It's not a coincidence that that's on Mount Hermon. That's where these fallen angels came down and did this. Wow so Jesus is going and, and reclaims I'm, I'm coming for you like he's he's poking them in the eye saying this is this this is my turf. these are my people stepping into a challenge, stepping into a challenge. yeah, bring it on, bring it on. Um, so um, so again, when we look at Noah, if I can backtrack a little bit, um, you know he was perfect in his generations. And a number of these texts talk about that.
1: Um, so when you say perfect in his, you don't necessarily mean uh, perfect as in he wasn't sinless, but he he was, like you said, without blemish. So yeah. he didn't ha- he wasn't tainted. That's right. he was his genes were not yet commingled
3: or corrupted, okay, um like everything else. So that's what made him really special, yeah, that's that's what made him very unique. And again, um the enemy. Uh, knew that there was going to be one that was going to come to crush his head. So if he could corrupt the seed, and this is important because humanity is distinct or different from animals because um, the Bible actually says that we bear God's image. So, you know, literally the Imago Dei has been stamped upon us. So at what point, if we're commingled, you know, with other beings or with other animals or whatever – you know, is it possible that we actually lose that image? And if we lose that image, then we're no longer redeemable. And so, you know again, that uh, that causes you know significant
1: issues or problems right yeah, wow, that's that's incredible. i don't I've never really heard it explained like that before. so that that's that's very interesting. I didn't mean to cut you off with noah. yeah
3: no, 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 no. Um so um, so you know, Noah and his family. Um, you know, survived, and it it does say all flesh was wiped out, so the historical record um speaks about these things called demons, and um there are many traditions that believe that the demons they are the disembodied spirits of the nephilim so if if the nephilim these these commingled beings that were made a cross between. Um, you know, angelic species in some form or fashion and um, humans and whatever other admixture is in there. Um, if the flesh is wiped out, you know, there, there's still some sort of, you know, consciousness or, or, or something that exists. So, um, you know, they're always looking for a, a body to inhabit. Jesus says they're, they're looking for, for something to enter. And um, again, ha- bearing the image of God we're you know, we're protected unless we open up a portal to let those things in. But if 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 um you know beings are corrupted and they no longer bear the image, then they're willing hosts. Um so let me let me uh backtrack again a little bit and uh in Genesis six four it says again that the Nephilim were on the earth um, on those days and then also afterwards. So it implies that after the flood These things showed up again. So, you know, there are some theories about that. Some say that, um, you know, the text says that Noah was perfect. Maybe his sons were, but maybe his wife wasn't. And um, maybe Noah's son's wives weren't either. So uh, there couldn't have been, uh, you know, an additional incursion that way. Or um, there could perhaps be some other angels that fell. Now, you know, there are some people who do say, well, wait a minute, doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't Jesus say that, um, you know, the angels in heaven, we're going to be like the angels in heaven who uh, are neither married nor are given in marriage. Remember that verse in the New Testament? Mm. Now, notice the context there. Jesus says, you shall be like the angels in heaven who neither marry nor are given in, in marriage. And that's, that's the whole, these things are fallen angels, right So they, right. they, they committed an, an egregious offense. Angels aren't supposed to do this. That's why it was a big deal. And um, again, we have uh, corroborating evidence in the New Testament, Second uh, Peter chapter 2 verse 4, where um, Peter actually uh, alludes to this event. and uh, let me pull that up really quickly here. Second uh, Peter chapter 2 verse 4, uh, and I'll read verse 5 as well. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So notice the context. We're talking about fallen angels who greatly sinned during the time of Noah And now they've been punished or chained. Uh, The Greek word there is the word Tartarus. That is the only place in the Greek New Testament where the word Tartarus is used. And it's interesting because um, a lot of our English Bibles, uh, just one word is usually created for hell, you know, whether it's, you know, the abyss, hell, Gehenna, hell, Hades, hell, um, the pit, hell or here, Tartarus, hell. But each one of those um, words actually, uh, you know, connote something a little bit different. Tartarus is the word used by uh, the the great Greek poet Homer when the Olympians battled the Titans and defeated the Titans. Homer says the Titans were cast down into Tartarus, chained down into Tartarus. And the Titans, again, large beings, if you will, um and he says that Tartarus is as far below Hades as Hades is below the earth. So um, you know, Peter writing to a Greek audience, they would have understood that these fallen angels and the uh you know the uh, uh the Olympic stories or the you know the the myths of 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 the Greeks speak. Or speaking of the same event, even though, again, the, the, the Greek myth would be a, a fractured record of the historical record that we have in Scripture. So when we get to the Old Testament and actually look when um, the Israelites are freed from Egypt, they're told to go into the land of Canaan, and notice that was the land of giants. When the spies went in, in Numbers, it said they they, they looked like you Know giants to us, and you I believe know, it said something like they, they looked like grasshoppers to we're, yeah, we're, we're like, we're like, I'm sorry, we're like grasshoppers to them, right. they're, they're giants. So, Numbers uh, 13 23, I believe uh, that reference is, and um, you know, so some people feel like they're just exaggerating, but when you actually track through the Old Testament, there are a number of of giant clans that are mentioned. I mean, a whole slew of them, and uh, you know, again, this can be corroborated, you know, historically with a lot of the bones that they find, you know, around the world of of things that aren't entirely human. Right? They're, they're right. too large, you know, to be human. We
0: work hard at being healthier, and what? what we really need is better quality sleep. <sighs>
1: On that topic of these bones that they're finding all over the world that are too large to be human, uh, one, I hear people talk about how these bones just kind of disappear, yes. you know, because it, it doesn't fit a narrative when it comes to the whole evolutionist theory. Uh, I, I heard that, but with these elongated skulls, um, do, you, do you know anything about, like, it, people say that these might be the Nephilim. Uh, at, at one time. Have you ever heard anything like that?
3: Yeah. Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if, if they were Nephilim, but uh, a lot of times those skulls are, uh, you know, it, it, it's beyond just the, um, you know, working of the skull that, that they do when kids are young. I mean, the, the cranium structure is just way too large the eye sockets are way too, I mean, they're not like stretching the, you know, the eyeballs out in those kids. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's something distinct from humans, you know, where exactly that plays into the narrative. I'm not sure, but, um, you know, it it would certainly fit, um, you know, with some of these things that we're speaking of.
1: Yeah. Now when you said that basically the Nephilim, they are, post flood as well. Uh, and you're referring to more of a demonic presence. Is that right?
3: Well, again, the, if, if these are not natural beings, if, if they're a product of commingling, if they're a product of genetic manipulation, and again, some people say, well, how can that happen? You know, angels are immaterial, um, spirits. Well, not really. The Bible actually says that Satan, um, he can transform himself into a creature of light. You know, you l- look at Einstein's, um, you know, equation, E, energy, equals mass, you know, velocity squared. So, you know, matter can be converted into energy. So, um, these angelic beings or species are incredibly Intelligent, You know, a magnitude of millions next to the most brilliant supercomputer or, you know, human for that matter. So these beings, um, actually, uh, Job chapter 38, it says that the angels witnessed the earth being created and rejoiced. So they um, would have witnessed the processes of creation. They would have been... Uh, maybe even participating in some of those those works, um, you know that 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 God did while He was creating. So these angelic beings are unbelievably, uh, you know, brilliant. So it wouldn't be you know beyond their ability to manipulate matter, to uh, co-mingle and combine different elements to create certain things. So therefore, if it's not something natural when the flood happened and the flesh of these things was destroyed, that the, the spirit, the bastardized spirit, if you will, still exists, but as as a demonic form. So, um, you know, again, Jesus dealt with these things, uh, you know, continually, and the New Testament church does today. And, um, you know, so yeah. So I, I would say, again, that the, the demons would be the the disembodied spirits of
1: the the nephilim that uh that were destroyed, wow, wow, that's when it comes to angels um and you know obviously fallen angels as well, like we're talking about pretty powerful entities, aren't we?
3: Yeah, I, I mean like hard to imagine entities. So the 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 hierarchy between like an angel and a demon, like some people put them in the same category? No. Oh, really? No, not even no, not even close. Um So, um you know, it's interesting cuz Jesus gave us authority, you know, over all things. But um even angels when um when Michael was battling um whoever he was battling right in Jude it said the lord rebuke you so so these beings have unbelievable capacities you know crazy capacities unimaginable capacities yeah not only to deceive but to um, you know um, just mix stuff they just they just have the wisdom to do that think about what humanity has done technologically in the last 20 years with genetics, with robotics, with artificial intelligence, with nanotechnology, with synthetic biology. And, you know, um, you know, all those things together were, were literally, you know, the science fiction stuff that I grew up with. It's not science fiction anymore. I mean, a lot of this stuff is happening in real time. So, you know, this, this is human capacity, or maybe some of these humans are having some help with some principalities and powers, um, but but these, if if humans can do that in the last twenty years, what can a being do that that's been around, uh, you know, for a much longer period of time with a much greater capacity? So yeah, very strong
1: beings, almost limitless. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty powerful, yeah. Wait, yeah, I've heard that uh, ancient, the ancient uh, Babylon, mm-hmm. um, even Egypt. Uh, I've heard that people suggest that their kings might have been some form of Nephilim. Have you ever heard that? I mean, because sure, I've, heard, yeah, yeah. I've heard with the because uh, some of their their kings have that elongated skull, yeah. and people relate that to the Nephilim. Sure. Yeah. Uh, do Do you know where they get that from at all?
3: Well, if 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 you look at sort of the uh, you know the 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 mother myth, um, I suppose you could say it it, it happened in Sumer. Um, when you're talking about the Mesopotamian and Valley, so, you know, certainly Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, actually a little little bit longer or later than that, um, but still going way, way back. So there's an explosion of technology, um, you know, that occurred during that time. And, uh, you know, so some people wonder, well, where did it come from? But when you, when you look at, um... You know, for example, what what happened in the mother myth, when you look at Horus and Iris and Osiris, um, you know, one of them gets chopped up, thrown into the Nile River. They, they find the pieces, put them all together, comes to life. They find all the pieces but one, happens to be the male organ, right? And so um, all up over in Egypt, we have the obelisks popping up. So where you see an obelisk, you know it uh you know we we're, we're talking it's a you know male sexual organ, wow, so you know the way the occult works they'll they'll throw secrets right in plain sight. Curious too, that the one in washington d mm-hmm. do you know how tall that thing is? How it, t- it's it's five hundred and fifty five feet okay. which is six thousand six hundred and sixty inches. No, <laughs> no, I, the, wow. the base <laughs> the, the base, right it has four bases, each base is six hundred and sixty six inches.
1: Really, yeah, really. very interesting, isn't it? Almost as if it's intentional. <laughs> uh, it was intentional What was intentional? let me tell you I mean was, it was very intentional. Wow, so you think that these things are all tied together from his like in from modern day things like you just said in our country to <clears throat> back then, well, well again, notice the symbol, the the male the the the, the
3: phallic symbol, mm-hmm. what happened in Genesis six? Right. That was that was a, a sexual act, you know, pretty much fallen angels, you know, flipping off God, if you will. So, you know, you see that symbol. It's actually a a call back to what happened here. So, yeah, it gets creepy when you start digging into this stuff and you start, you know, reading the testimonies of, you know, uh, some of this stuff. Yeah.
1: So uh, a little sidetrack, I guess. Um, you referenced Enoch the Book of Enoch, yeah. there are people that want to know why Enoch is not part of the Scriptures. If we refer to it so often, especially when it comes to these things, uh, and the fact that Enoch himself uh, is, I believe, the grandfather, great-grandfather of Noah. who mm-hmm. uh, walked with God. Yeah. It, do you have any ideas as to why that wasn't included in the scriptures? Yes. Actually, uh, this is going to be a digression. I don't know how well this is going to
3: fit. So you may, you know, have to edit this. Okay. But check this out. This is what happened. Um, by the way, there is some writing of Enoch that shows up in the new Testament in the book of Jude. Behold, he comes with 10,000 of his saints. That's actually a quote right from the book of Enoch. Um, Jude was Jesus's brother, by the way, um, half brother. And then, um, so in the in the New Testament, uh, there are some prophecies in Enoch that were being used by the early church that uh, spoke about the coming of Christ. When, um, how do I say this? the The Protestant Bible uses the what was used at the Council of Jemania in seventy 78- eight. 79 AD. And why is that important? The temple was wiped out, destroyed in 70, 71 AD. The Jews no longer could center their worship on the place of the temple. Now they had to go to Torah. They'd use the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. So, 78, 79, you have this massive sect that's growing like crazy, the Christians, and they were using the Book of Enoch to witness, to testify to Christ. So what they did in 78-79, in the chief rabbis of the day, they locked in the Jewish canon at that point, And they excluded the Book of First Enoch. So um, it still shows up in some canons, the Coptic canon in Ethiopia um, and some others. But like for example, the Protestant church, when we got rid of the Apocrypha, uh, first Enoch was not in the Apocrypha or the Catholics call the second Canon, but we went to what they used in the council of Jemania. And again, they didn't use that book. It's suggested because the early church was using that to point to Christ. So for what it's worth. So, gotcha. Yeah. So that would be, that would be one suggestion. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus there's just, there's a lot of funky stuff in there, you know, yeah. so, um, but some some interesting stuff. Yeah. So, 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 so check this out now, um, in the, in the evangelical church for probably, f- um, ever since the fourth century, the way they interpreted Genesis six was the sons of God really mean the godly line of Seth. Has nothing to do with angels. It's a godly line of Seth. Now, notice what I said the fourth century, the first 300, 350 years of the church. And before that, when we're talking about the intertestinal period, you will not find one reference to that being talked about with the sons of Seth. It's always speaking about the fallen angels. I have all these, these references here, which would you know, bore your listeners. But you know, I'll got Philo, Josephus, the early church fathers, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, Clement of Alexandria, Lactatius, um, and then all your other ancient records, Sumerian, Egyptian, Babylonian, Assyrian, Greek, Roman, Amorite. They all contain what happened in Genesis 6, which is talking about, again, these, these divine beings commingling, creating... Uh, a bastardized race.
1: So this whole Nephilim topic, this whole um, topic of interest that so many people have actually plays like the roots of it plays a strategic role in the history of mankind. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, the hidden
3: history, if you will. Um, But it's not hidden. I mean, you know, the clues are there. Um, you know, whether it's through the, uh, written record of these, you know, peoples, whether it's in the ancient reliefs, you know, um, whether it's in the oral traditions, it's there. Um, so yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things I think, um, you know, is important, at least for those not only who study history backwards, but are trying to project what's, what's going to happen, um, Some of the words of Jesus, I think, uh, you know, may have, you know, some people may want to consider. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the coming of the Son of Man. So what exactly was going on during the days of Noah? Hmm. You had a bastardization of the created order. You had a commingling of species. And when you look at what's going on today in the name of transhumanism, right, commingling pig and human and, you know, plant and animal – Again, breaching those categories that were stated at the beginning, creation, let everything reproduce after its own kind. And again, I'm not talking about husbandry. I'm not talking about like mixing an apple with an orange. You know, that's fine. But when you start mixing like, you know, an apple with a pig or, you know, some right. of that kind of stuff, right? Then you're, 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 you're really messing with stuff. So,
1: Wow. Yeah. You said it will be like the times of Noah and stuff. Yeah. What, what could that possibly look like? Okay. You know, so uh,
3: a lot of people ask me if if I believe in uh ETs.
1: And I usually tell them I'm agnostic. I can I put this on the on the on the show or not? Because I cuz that that's something that maybe. I thought about too okay. cuz people people yeah. say that maybe these aliens that we see are more demonic.
3: Yeah, well let let me yeah, I I mean, you know, if if you want to use it you can if you don't like it, you don't have to use it. But yeah, you can you can put that on the okay. if you want. Um, so when, when people ask, do I believe in extraterrestrials or ETs, I say, you know, honestly, I'm agnostic. I don't know. Because if you look at the unbelievable distances, you know, between planets and suns, you know, how can that be, you know, but I absolutely believe in IDs or ITs or EDs, intradimensional beings. Okay. Okay or extra-dimensional beings, Mm -hmm. because the Bible's full of that stuff. Angels, right? Transversing dimensions coming in to our existing and popping out of existence. Jacob's ladder. You know, we we have all kinds of instances of angelic help, these beings being able to press in to our existence. You know, we're bound into these three dimensions. Uh, These spiritual entities aren't. So, um, you know, so yeah, so there are many who believe that, you know, all T- ETs are demonic. I don't know that they're all demonic, but I think they are um, intradimensional or extra dimensional beings. So they're angelic. Whether they're good angels or bad angels, that may depend upon what's happening. You know, if somebody's having nightmares and, you know, getting sucked up into a spaceship where their genetic material is getting sucked out, mm-hmm. it's probably not a good angel. No. You know? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, But there are people that say that they've had good experiences with these things, almost peaceful encounters with these things. So you would think that that would be a good angel then? Possibly.
3: Well, yeah, um, possibly,
1: right? Possibly. Everything everything is hypothetical here.
3: Well, no, yeah. So possibly, sure. But, uh, you know, at the same time, um, you know, if you're an older person and you want to weave a web around somebody, you know, you're not just going to you know throw them right into the web you you might use a little bit of deceit sweet talk all kinds of things to manipulate okay you know right. what yeah. what you would like to see happen so um you know the bible talks about you know the enemy's weapon is deceit mm-hmm. you
1: know deception that's that's what he uses so approaching those times of as they were in the days of noah because they weren't all dealt with is there a possibility that they could be there could be a resurgence? Of- oh, absolutely.
3: Well, especially so if if again if it's the image of God that's somewhat of a protective you know coating whatever you know if it's something ontological, we don't know if it's something functional, we don't know if it's relational, but there's something about humanity the way God created them that bears his image. So if something gets altered where it no longer bears his image, might even look like us, but that, you know, his protection is no longer there. Then those things will be willing hosts for hordes of these
1: things. And we wouldn't even know it. Wow. Is it, is it possible now? I, I don't know how, how far your, your background knowledge goes with this, with some of these things, but the whole idea of this crypto cryptozoology, these cryptids is it possible that some of these cryptids could be um representations of the Nephilim? yes, oh absolutely sure, really, yeah, yeah. so like uh, cause for instance, you know everybody knows that I got my start in this whole thing with Bigfoot mm-hmm. uh but since getting my start and all this stuff, I started looking into other things, uh, just not real in depth. But one thing that's been really popping up the last few years is this idea of a dog man. Mm. Okay, and people say when they see it, it's not usually a good encounter. Mm. It's usually um, a very scary encounter, uh, and it's they, they say it's it, I guess like it's like a, like a werewolf almost, like where sure. it, it looks like a dog walking on two legs. And sometimes people uh, talk about being chased by these things. And if these things actually wanted to catch them, they could, but for whatever reason, these things aren't, they're like chasing, but they're not capturing Uh, that, that whole idea and stuff. I mean, could something like that, could people be seeing Nephilim, Nephilim, or whatever, however you pronounce it?
3: it? Well, well again, so the, the offspring of the Nephilim would would be demonic entities Mm -hmm. and those are spirits, but they're always looking to embed themselves into whether it's animals, or whether it's, you know, commingled stuff, whether it's a cryptid, you know, whether it's giants, whether it's leprechauns, whether it's fairies, whether it's, you know, UFOs, alien greys. I mean, these things can manifest or be manifested
1: in a number of different uh, forms. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. So that so I mean, that that that's kind of on the surface, it's kind of scary to think about, uh, but there's really well uh, no need to be scared. Well, again, you know, so I'm I'm a firm believer
3: in in Jesus Christ, and I I um you know I I believe very strongly he's given believers authority in his name to uh you know take command over those things. Mm-hmm. So um, a believer who knows that you know they're in Christ. They are protected if if one takes authority over those things. So we don't have to be afraid. Um, but um, if I had to battle that thing in my own flesh, yeah, I might be afraid. Right. But greater is He who is in me than He who is in the world. So if I know the Holy Spirit, you know, is is with a believer, then there's no reason to be afraid of that stuff.
1: Right. Wow. Yeah. That's that's really like enlightening, almost an eye opening. Uh, because that's, that's an idea that I really haven't um, dove into a whole lot yet. I've been dabbling with it and stuff uh, up until not too long ago. I've been, when, a whole, when the whole idea of people saying that um, Bigfoot is the Nephilim, I, I just dismissed it as, you know, that's not possible. Because in my mind, the Nephilim were wiped out with the flood, but if But Genesis six four it says now they were on the earth those days and
3: also afterward, after, yeah. Yeah. And so, they show up a lot in and certainly in the old testament again with the demons in the new.
1: Yeah. And you referenced uh numbers uh thirteen thirty three, I think it was, or thirteen twenty three, twenty three. 23 yeah. 23. they they talk about seeing these giants and that's post flood, right? That's post flood, yeah. Let's uh let's pull that verse up uh
3: uh, real quick. So Numbers, Numbers chapter 13. Yep, you're right, Tony. It is 1333. Okay. 1333. So the, uh, the 12 spies were sent into the land and 10 of them came back with a bad report. So even though they're, they're larger beings, the Israelites had God going with them. So, you know, they, they kept their eyes on on the physical stuff and not on God, and this was their report. And there, when they saw the Nephilim, and then it says in parentheses, the son of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so that we seemed to them. So check out, here's another name, sons of Anak. Anakin. Does that name ring a bell? Uh, not right now, no. Anakin Skywalker? Oh, wow! <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's—I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, right? because it talks about the 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 Anakim in scripture as actually one of the the Nephilim tribes. Wow. So you know, if, if you're talking about these Jedi's or beings with you know great power, mm-hmm. you know, it would it would sort of make sense a little bit.
1: Wow. And when it comes to these tribes, I don't know. I don't know if you want to go into this or not. If not, I'll cut it. Uh, but with. The whole different idea of these tribes that they were Israel was sent in to wipe out. Uh, a lot of people talk about how, like you and I were talking about it earlier, how was God just a, a ruthless killing machine? Um, I don't know if you want to share. If not, I can cut it. But uh, well, well, some some believe,
3: and again, here the text speaks that um, the giants had settled there.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So. Um, you know, Satan at least had an inkling that, you know, this was the land where um, the seed that was going to crush his head would have to be born. So the the giants were there waiting. And again, Mount Hermon, where in First Enoch, where it says the 200 fallen angels came down, um, you know, is in relative proximity as well. So um, if... These giants, and again, there are a number of different names. Um, we have the Raphaim. Um, we have the Anakim, um, the Raphaites, the Zamzumim, and several others that I won't mention. Even Goliath, who, by the way, was a midget, Nephilim, <laughs> because are some much larger than him. But, but these tribes were in the land. So when there are some who believe that when God said, wipe out every man, woman, child, you know, you have to, you have to wipe them all out. It's, it's because they had been, you know, had been a corrupted seed. So, um, you know, some say that's genocide, but others, if you take the story literally, um, they weren't, you know, fully human either. So, and the reality is they didn't completely wipe them out, which means that there are some that still are around today in different forms or fashions. Right.
1: You know, when, when, all the, when the 200 fallen angels, were all those wiped out with the flood?
3: No. In fact, um, that's where Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says that they're bound down up into, into Tartarus. Okay. Jude 6 actually mentions that as well. Um, Jude actually says something else. It's, he said that um, those angels, when they left their oiketerion, in other words, they left their, their, um, their heavenly body, that word's only used twice in the New Testament. The other place it's used, um, Paul, when he's talking Corinthians, he says, we're going to be putting on our oiketerion. So Jude uses actually that word, the angels, they took off their oiketerion. Right and committed committed sin. Wow. Jude says that they're down in the abyss. Second Peter says they're down in Tartarus. Relatively, you know, the same word there. So they're being they're bound being held there. They're being held for judgment, yes. So they will be released. By the way, when uh, some people believe Revelation chapter nine, um, um when let me let me go there real quickly. Okay. Revelation chapter nine. Some believe that these things, these beings, are going to be released uh, with others who are there for punishment. Notice that it actually says in Revelation 9, I saw the fifth angel blow his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So pit, abyss, Tartarus, same thing. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts upon the earth, representing demonic power. They were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant of any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. We touched briefly on uh, the thought of transhumanism. Mm -hmm. Here, it appears like they actually succeeded, where... Um, you know, through technological means or with the help of, um, you know, principalities and powers, it looks like um, mankind got what they wanted, the inability to die. Here they're longing to die and they can't, which is pretty creepy to think about. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Others also use this as a pitch for the zombie apocalypse, by the
1: way. Yeah, sure. (laughs) You know, you bringing that up, it just – Jogged my memory, I feel like I just recently heard that they were they were I guess scientists or something they were talking about uh having the ability in the future to extend life. Oh sure oh yeah, 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 that's again,
3: when, when we go into the garden, notice the promise: you shall not die, you shall live forever, you'll be like God, and you'll have the knowledge. Of good and evil, so transhumanism promises three things um godlike qualities, right um unbelievable knowledge, and not dying immortality. so transhumanism pitches the same thing that Satan pitched to Eve in the garden. It's the
1: same thing repackaged wow and the original intent was that we weren't to die. And so, going back to the idea of it will be like the day in the days of Noah. Well, I mean, those guys lived what nine? I think the oldest man was nine hundred sixty-nine years old.
3: Yeah, Methuselah.
1: Methuselah. Yeah, he lived
3: an awful long time. But but in the Garden of Eden, right? Right now, we're in our fallen state. It's hard to to picture to postulate what we would have been like in Eden. So these right now, we have bodies of death that right. we're wearing. I would imagine, you know, those shows like the X-Men and the Marvel Comics, Superman, those sorts of things. Those were the qualities that we had before the fall. We, we, we had that kind of unbelievable wow capacity. You know, we weren't just like sitting under a, a tree, chomping on an apple. You know, it was, yeah. it was di- we're talking about dimensional space. So, um, in fact, you know, the cherubim were, were told to guard that. And uh, many believe it's an interdimensional portal. But now in these bodies of death, we don't have the frequencies, the modalities to capture
1: that anymore. Now we're bound by three dimensions. Wow. So, I mean, I, I, I made a, a video on YouTube a while back talking about the, the idea that if, if Sasquatch is out there, Then it has to be extremely intelligent, and I equated the idea of an instinctual intelligence where these things uh, I believe are naturally seclusive, and that they instinctually they're instinctually intelligent on certain things. And I said that I feel like that's one reason why maybe us as human beings like we're so attracted to these shows of like Survivor Man, and because we look at these these guys on TV, and I feel like deep down inside there's something part of us that is like. That was you at one time. You were able to naturally do that at one time, and it's like you want to hold on to that. Mm-hmm. And what you just described—the whole idea of the X Men and back in the day and all that—like maybe that's why people are just so attracted to these these what we would think is just you know sci-fi, but because that in our ancient history was actually part of us.
3: Yeah, and, and maybe even like the biggest part. So now it's like you know we have our abilities and powers crimped. Why? Because in our fallen state, no longer able to discern properly between good and evil, if we're face to face with these things, we couldn't handle it. Right? Because they, they you know they still have unbelievable capacities to deceive, to trick, or to overpower. We can't handle it, right? We'd be overcome with either fear, grief, you know, the 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 inability to process at that rate. You know these beings are are thinking not only instinctively um but intuitively right where we have to like um you know think discursively if you will so yeah um you know incredibly intelligent beings, I mean you know clearly Sasquatch, if he wasn't would have been caught by now, so not
1: just you right. know, some caveman, yeah but no they you know incredibly intelligent and beings. you know a lot of the people go into the idea, they, they call it the woo, uh, which is basically, you know, the idea that Sasquatch is interdimensional Sasquatch. Uh, and that's how we can not find them. You'll find it prints and then they're just gone. And, um, you know, people say that they've experienced mind speak and they, they attribute that to Sasquatch. And, I mean, if you wanted to go down that path of the idea that Sasquatch could be a form of the Nephilim, then they would be interdimensional. Is that right?
3: Yeah, well, the, uh, yes, to a certain degree. Again, angels or interdimensional beings, because angels simply means messengers. So there could be a, a whole hierarchy of created beings, right, that God uh, has made. So, um, and it would make sense for, you know, those beings to have some sort of covering. You know, while they're in our three dimensional space, so you know, could they be, you know, in, intradimensional beings? Absolutely. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I've you know, everybody knows I've never seen a Sasquatch. I'm just really fascinated by the topic, and I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of people who say they've seen them, uh, and I and I've talked to so many people that fall on both sides of it. You know, they they swear it's interdimensional some say they've seen it, they call it cloaking right in front of them, boom, gone, you know and other people are saying, that's crazy it's it's just an animal out there and eventually, you know, th- we're gonna have the proof that we need to show the world, you know um, but that's that's really interesting when you take the, that idea and just kind of relate it to all this stuff um, back to the, the giants not all Nephilim were giants, were they? Um, or were they, I mean, mm, when, when they were, uh, when they were fallen.
3: Yes. I, no, I'm not saying yes to your answer. Right. No. Um, I think,
1: you know, they're, they're, so are you talking about like, you know, could there be natural giants or. Well, yeah. Could there be natural giants, but did they have to be, were they giants? I mean, or could they have been, you know, something. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um,
3: uh, no, they did not necessarily just have to be giants, because um, even like looking again, extra biblical stuff. When you look at the um, Amorite text, the Rash uh, uh, Shamna text, there it's talking about um, again the the souls of the underworld, and these things can transpose themselves into a number of different things. So if Again, if you have um a spiritual entity, you can sort of you know gravitate into you know pretty much anything hmm. although it seems like they prefer flesh right so um so yeah no they they didn't necessarily have to
1: be uh giants per se mm-hmm. so um, yeah that's interesting i I also have a note here i I heard that the amalekites mm-hmm. I heard the name Amalekite itself, the, and I don't know if you've heard this before, but the first half means people, and the second half means vampire-like being. Have you ever heard that before? Uh, I have
3: not. I would have to do a, a closer okay. study on that.
1: Yeah, I, I, and I just—I think I—I I, I wrote that down, so I—I I think I heard it today actually. But I found that interesting. I was like, "Well, how how deep does this go?" <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, because you, you just—you look at. All this, you know, the Greek mythology and how that ties into this yes. and, and just, I, I feel like people are so dismissive of ancient people uh, and that they, they don't take account for what they had to say and they say, oh, well, that's just stories that they made up. For instance, I also heard today um, that Indians, uh, Native Americans, the whole, the whole idea of raising your hand up is saying how count how many fingers count how many fingers That's right could you go into that as to why why would they want to count how many fingers well it's
3: it's amazing uh, a lot of the native peoples their you know stories with the giants um, you know li- both in north america and in south america mm-hmm. um so uh, and the giants were not kind i mean you know they were uh, cannibalistic um uh, so yeah, no, it, it was, uh, you know, I, I don't know those narratives as, as well as I know, you know, my own tribe, you know, being in scripture. Right. But, uh, you know, I have heard the stories and, you know, reports, um, you know, clearly like in, um, you know, the, the Southwest, um, you know, finding large caches of huge skeletons, uh, you know, and not just like one or two, but, you know, dozens and dozens, um, uh, quick, um, abdication of, uh, villages, you know, where everything is just kind of left in place, you know, with, with the stories of, uh, you know, the, the, the giants coming to invade. So, um, you know, there, there is a very large tradition
1: there. Right. Um, Yeah. And now with, with that, uh, that idea of the giants in North America and stuff like that, and we might have covered this before, are all were, were all giants considered Nephilim or like th- these North American giants that people hear about and stuff? Was that just a separate thing? I,
3: no, I would say that was actually a worldwide issue. I, you know, not just, uh, now again, when we're talking about Noah, we're talking about universal history. So some people want to know, you know, was it a local flood or was it a universal flood? I believe it was a universal flood, mm-hmm. you know, to wipe these things out. Um, so, yeah, no, I don't believe it was just local. So
1: I believe these things were, uh, you know, worldwide. Absolutely. And with the flood, I, I just saw this now. I just heard last week that, I guess recently, scientists have discovered that, 90% of the Earth's water is actually below the surface. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating. It is pretty fascinating. It it kind of makes you think, hmm, you know, it kind of plays into the whole narrative of a global flood. Yes. Uh, and how that 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 could possibly happen. Where we all right, well, we do have the water for that. You know, yes, yeah. it's it's there. Yeah. And if that water wasn't below the Earth's surface, there would be no land, there would be no us. Because right. it would be a flooded earth. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of ge- uh, geological evidence for, you know, people who want to track that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I know there are competing narratives, but there are agendas associated with that as well. Yeah,
1: so absolutely. There's, there's agendas with everything. Yes. Well, that's it, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed the show. I know it wasn't a typical interview that I normally do. It was more of a discussion. But nevertheless, I really hope you guys are leaving here with more information than what you came in with. And before we leave, I just want to give a quick shout out to Ari Young Happy, who gave me some great comments on last week's show. Ari, those comments really hit home to me. They really mean a lot, and I'm really glad you enjoyed the show. Have a great week, everyone.
3: sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives those that they chose. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. When we go into the garden, notice the promise. You shall not die, you shall live forever, you'll be like God, and you'll have the knowledge of good and evil. We have bodies of death. I would imagine, you know, those shows like the X-Men and the Marvel comics, Superman, Those sorts of things, those were the qualities that we had before the fall. kind of unbelievable capacity. You know, we weren't just like sitting under a a tree chomping on an apple. You know, it was, it was, we're talking about dimensional space.